there's problems at the well, well number four in the village. They're going to have to lower a child down on a rope. But our water seems fine, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's the north side of town. It's a whole other world. So who cares they'll about have those to, people, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll have to find their own sacrifice. Uh-huh. In Western Springs, you lived on the good side of the tracks, whereas I lived on the wrong side of the tracks? Absolutely. <laughs> there, there's this, you know, the webpage, Historic Aerials. It's like kind of like Google Earth, but it's just, it's all aerial photographs that someone's put online, you know, and it's, you can go through years and just look at the aerial photographs for your area. And it's pretty amazing. Just, yeah, like around our house, in 1950, I guess, I can't remember, it's 51 is the early, is one of the middle ones. There's nothing. It's still fields, I think, from uh, Vaughn's. It was all Vaughn's, you know. The, Vaughn's was here first. <laughs> it was the in the 18, center. 1800s, like before the town, really, I think, or just when it started, it was all like uh, orchards and things. And where was the Marx Brothers farm? That, I think, is on LaGrange Road and Juliet Road by the White Castle. Behind the White oh. Castle, I think. Oh, in Countryside? They had <laughs> yeah. a farm in Countryside? Yeah, briefly. There's always, you know, there's did, never, did you ever hear that, the rumors about at LT, it was always like, oh, the Marx Brothers went to school here. Did you? It was in our yearbook, our 100th year anniversary yearbook. I was in the 100th year class. Right. I was, yeah. I was, did they not go there? Well, I, start, I started doing my own, you know, <laughs> research <yeah. laughs> on the internet, you know. There's amazing things you can find there. And, but uh, I just looked at their birth dates and... When they were supposedly, they, they lived on this farm, supposedly, yeah, their mother bought this farm to, so they have less chance of getting drafted in World War One Because if, if you were a farm worker, if you were labor, kind of, you, you know, your family, you were on a family farm, you're less likely to be drafted. This is the theory. And then she bought, yeah, they bought this chicken farm. But they were only here for like two years. And I looked at their birth dates and... The only one who could have gone to high school then was, what's his name, Zeppo? He's the youngest one. Yeah, was Zeppo the youngest? I Gilmo think was older. Oldest, right? yeah. yeah. So Zeppo was okay. maybe could have gone to LT. So maybe he did. But everybody, yeah, the, the only the ones who lived here were it was Zeppo and Groucho and Harpo. And Carl, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were all like 20 or, you know, they were... Groucho was like 20 or something, 19, 20, and Harpo was like 21 or something. So they were all, they definitely didn't go to LT. <laughs> I don't know why you got to shit on my parade. <laughs> you know, in my, in, I was in the 100th anniversary class of that high school. It said in the yearbook clearly that the Marx Brothers were somewhat associated with that high school. Next thing you're going to tell me is that the greatest actor slash German recording artist known to man did not go to our high school. <laughs> that I yeah I have not looked into that. That I believe a hundred percent. That's true. I prefer I prefer you not look into it because I don't want my dream. If you should if you see an aerial photograph and there's not a Trans Am with a light flashing back and forth on the grill, circling around wanna, North Campus. Know, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim and I were on tour once, and um, David Hasselhoff was playing a mall in the same town that we were on tour, and so I, we I decided to go there to see him. It was right? Denver, I think, right? Denver, Maybe. yeah. 
And uh, we were really excited because we thought, oh, we have an in. We can say, oh, we went to the same high school and uh, to talk to him. And then <laughs> then they had like question and answer with him. And then some woman got up and said, I went to high school with you. You know, oh. it wasn't just that she had been, she had gone to LT. She had actually been in the same class with him. And so she kind of uh, ruined our plans of an in with David Hasselhoff because there was somebody else who actually was his same age and had been to school with him as opposed to just occupying the same building 15 years later. We did hand off a, uh, a CRCD to one of uh, his, his uh, handlers. That's was it that hard to get close? You couldn't just walk right up to him and hand it to him? No. It was a mall. Yeah, there were hundreds yeah. of people. I would think there'd be more security at your show than at his show. That's not true. <laughs> no, people are crazy. Why wouldn't you go up to him and yeah. say, "Hey, we're we're from LT and we're playing tonight. You should come come do a song with us. Come do. We're all looking for right. freedom." I think we all with we, us. I think all these thoughts went through our minds, but yeah, it just nothing panned out. I think what you're learning from these these stories is we just don't take um, advantage of of opportunities. I know we could have been, we could have been on tour right now in Germany, still perpetually with him. We would have. Right. How many weeks did we spend on tour in Germany? And it's it's really it's kind of just like there there's certain it's just like the United States. It's like mm -hmm. some of it's good, but some of it's gray. Not. It's very gray. <laughs> we were always there, always like in early spring That's or true. late fall. Well, there goes our German audience. <laughs> Again, not taking advantage of opportunities. Welcome to episode 1.4.6 of Lost and Found and Rewound. Your numbering system is getting totally messed up. I, I know. it. Yeah, I don't want to go into it, but it. I, had, so I, made, not, I made a call. I made a judgment It's not 1.4.5.5? It it should have, well, I should have done that on the last episode if that's the way I was going to go. By the way, a little tip for everybody who uses Podbean. Um, I thought I was being pretty clever by putting in the episode titles um, uh, uh, special characters that would signify whether, you know, an episode was a regular episode. So a little, I think I, I, think I have a, a, a greater than sign there to, to be the play button. And then uh -huh. on rewinds, I had a couple less than, or I, uh, for fast forwards, I had a couple greater thans to show fast forward. Uh. But you cannot put two less than symbols together in the title of an episode on Podbean. It'll cut off your title, and so I'm obviously Mingle putting it. I'm putting some sort of equation into into the Podbean code. I probably crashed the server somehow. <laughs> So I had to put less than space, less than, in order to continue with my crafty. It's like the modern modern day equivalent of those kids with the whistles, like in the cereal. And you know, you'd, there's the story where you get these these toys and in, in whistle toy whistles and cereal in the '60s or something, and kids started blowing into the phones and it started messing up the phone system. Their early yeah, the, early computer stuff. It was some right the tone. Hacker called Captain Crunch, I believe is called that because he would use, he, yeah, had hacked the tones for Couldn't the, you, uh, the phone system. You could hack people's um, answering machines by playing a tone back, right? Yep. 
to an answering machine. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Rockford's answering machine. Basically, those those answering machines from the seventies, where yeah, you'd play a tone into your phone to get it to play the messages back. That's awesome. You mean the? He'd have to get his messages. He'd have to play that line. The synth thing. Yeah. He always had to carry around a synthesizer with him. Speaking of touring in Europe, I think when one of those times when we were endlessly in Germany, um, I had a tone generator like from Radio Shack. So you'd put that on the the phone, um, which is the receiver. Yeah, the receiver, right? And then you'd push to do touch tone, to do international calling, because sometimes you couldn't uh, get it to work with the regular touch tone phones in Europe. That, you see, that's because... very the, sci-fi. That's because they didn't invent the telephone. Right, <laughs> right. If they had, pe- uh oh, Jim is frozen. Oh, oh he's back. He looks okay. I, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I didn't hear anything for about a thirty seconds there. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. <laughs> when the screen freezes, do you freeze too, Jim? Can you move when you freeze up in, no. in Google Hangouts? <laughs> I'm, I'm just stuck in my chair. Yeah, I, I can't move. It's like, <laughs> just I don't know what you know. Like it's like gl- ice just forms around my whole matrix. body, and I just yeah. Altered states. Yeah. <laughs> feel like you're in altered states. I'm Chris Lost. <laughs> I'm found Jim. I am Rick Rewound. Rick, I noticed you were looking up your notes. Did you have to did you have to look up who you were on your notes? I am on so many just recorded camera like calls. Now that, yeah, I do kind of lose track of who my audience is, who I'm talking to. Nonstop conference calls have kind of ruined the joy of us spending time with the two. Well, it's always joyful to spend time with the two of you. What am I saying? I'm not going to go there. This, is a, this, this podcast, by the way, is the ramblings of, of a film academic, an Anglophile, and a genre hound who, I would argue, watches the films that the other two can't or won't. Or both. I watched a lot of films this month that I, I don't think Rick could sit through. And I'll, I can, as we go through them, I'll describe why I've got. There's some scenes I think that uh, if you couldn't take I, the I, the earwig scene <laughs> in uh, in uh, wait a minute, don't uh, say it. Wrath of Khan, <laughs> the earwig scene. Oh no, you're talking about something else. Oh yeah, okay. Um, uh, well, I made a conscious. I used to watch everything, I think, and then I made a conscious decision, which was uh, the Planet of the Apes remake by Tim Burton. I said, "You know what? I've seen remakes. I've seen Tim Burton's remakes, I believe, and I felt like I should watch it." And then I made a conscious decision. What what year was that? Ninety six or something? And I said, "You know what? I'm not going to watch everything." That's a Even remake. If I feel like I should. That Tim Burton, <laughs> Planet of the Apes, man, yeah. you're kidding me. With Donnie Wahlberg, I, I had already been disappointed by the Island of Doctor Moreau with uh, oh. um, Marlon Brando, the remake of that. That was, but I wasn't guess that's that, a remake. That of was remake better than the original, wasn't it? The one with Marlon Brando. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Rick, what have you watched? Uh, in the last two months, since we didn't yeah, do a recap, a, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, 
I'll start at the beginning of my list. Heaven Can Wait, I watched that with Warren Beatty, directed by Buck Henry, co-directed with Buck Henry, which I forgot, who passed away was recently. Was it good? I remember not liking it. I liked it. I thought it was good. It's it's definitely a light, lightweight movie, I think. It, it barely holds together, but I, I, I liked it when I was a kid and liked... Yeah, we saw it as children yeah. with our I parents. I think at the police station, right? Or the city hall, they used to have movies. We at we didn't see that in maybe maybe the we saw it. In the sure, theater. we saw it in yeah. the theater too. I saw it at Lagrange Theater for a buck. I saw Superman at the uh, police station or wherever that is, right off of Spring Rock Park Village Hall. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, before that, early on, yep, before, it was at the police station, right in the basement of the police yeah. station. Yeah, we. I remember seeing two thousand and one, like. <laughs> It's one of my earliest memories. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> I fell asleep probably ten minutes into it. I was a very small child, but I remember the beginning, and it was in the basement of the. Police I station, remember definitely. weeping uncontrollably. I don't know how old I was at Born Free in the basement of the police station, so I might have been like four years old. I I was inconsolable. <laughs> they had. I think uh, my parents had to take me out of the out of the basement of the police station. <laughs> Here's how dumb I was. They took me to a, a Benji movie. I cried the whole Benji movie, of course. But then at the end, the credits like came up over Benji, and I thought that the credits were hurting Benji. <laughs> so I cried even more, and I was inconsolable. I remember... Oh, it's amazing how horrifying movies are to small children in some ways. I remember the like maybe the first time, but like a friend's sister who was much younger, or not much younger, but was younger, and just screaming uncontrollably at Mary Poppins, just this gigantic woman on the screen with an umbrella, and they had to take her out because it was just like, you know, what what is this thing that I'm being subjected to? This is a horror, right? Just giant people. It was terrifying to her. Well, you know that Tim Burton movie, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, the the film that was based on, I saw as a young child, and I was that was horrifying. I I was super scared of that. Film. Uh, yeah, that movie's like scary as an adult. Gilda Radner's husband. <laughs> You're just saying stuff to try and trigger me. Um, the uh, there's a there's a, a shot of a chicken getting its head cut off in the uh, tunnel. You know, yeah. If you watch carefully, there's lots really? of horrific stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, with a cleaver. Yeah. It's very clear once you see it. It's hard not to see it. <laughs> always but good it wasn't, when you're yeah. watching the movie with young children to point it out too. It's always appreciated. See, all yeah, I don't know. All you these kids, you're talking about yourself and our friends of the Mary Poppins and stuff. I remember when that happened. I was like, "What's wrong with What's wrong with these people?" You know, I was like, I thought this. You know, I never cried in any movies, and I remember Willy Wonka was great until yeah. Later on, I realized, yeah, it's like I saw And it. I like, oh, a strange, we went to the LaGrange Theater to see The Towering Inferno. It was our mother oh, yeah. and young Jim and myself, and I had to leave. I had to sit in the lobby for most of it because I was just overwhelmed by the noise. And and I fell asleep. Jim fell asleep. In the middle of it. I, I, I vividly, my That's, first experience of that is, is get, getting money for the soda machine. They had like a vending machine. I forgot about that. And you could, you could get a cup of soda. And I'm just sitting there in the lobby drinking a soda because it was just too overwhelming. It's also a three-hour movie, right? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen. But yeah, it was a it was a very Inferno. it was a very it was a very soothing <laughs> film. Yeah, I mean, I just well, see. I don't know. The first I don't see what first all this, hour and you know, a half Poppins, is pretty low key, right? Of, of Towering Inferno, it's just once once <laughs> like Richard Chamberlain catches on fire, his head catches on fire, right, or his whole body. That's when things really go south pretty quickly. 
<laughs> I remember when my son was, I think, 12, I played him 12-point buck. And I think that, that movie is that Irwin Allen song is on there. And he, like, after heard after he heard that song, he wanted to watch all those movies immediately. <laughs> man. Man versus nature, right? right? Yeah, man versus nature. I watched Hamilton. I'm I've seen half of, of musicals. It. Yeah. <laughs> the good half. Okay, I I'll talk the about movies half. that are... Yeah. <laughs> did, did, you didn't like it? I, I thought it was okay. I'm not a big musical person. I liked, uh, I liked King George who kind of sings like a, uh, the King George's song is reminded me of, uh, oh, what's his name? David Bowie. Harry Nilsson, actually. It seemed more oh. like Harry Nilsson, like a Harry Nilsson song. So not that I, I don't like hip hop, but, um, I, so like my arrow. Yeah. Or? More like his, uh, earlier kind of <laughs> like, uh, yeah, theatrical stuff. So honestly, it's probably just, you know, um, Harry Nilsson being influenced by uh, what's the world's most famous uh, musical comedy, you know, from the 1800s, those those musical comedies. Gilbert so, and yes, Sullivan. thank you. It's probably just that Harry Nilsson was influenced by Gilbert and Sullivan, and so the King George stuff is like Gilbert and Sullivan. So that's probably what's happening, but because, I again, I don't like musicals, my reference point is Harry Nilsson, not... What influenced Harry Nilsson? And if you're paying attention at home, we're uh, pretending that we're on the $20,000 pyramid. <laughs> and what Rick is doing is describing things, and the gym is saying what the answers are. That is a great metaphor for, like, old age. It's just like, it's just like an endless game, a $20,000 pyramid. And there is a clock. You just don't know when it's going to hit zero. But there's definitely a countdown clock. All right, uh, Vivarium. Have you heard of this movie? No. Um, with, uh, uh, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg? And, whoa, what's her name? Really crazy English actress name. Imogen Poot, I believe is her name. <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, a couple who aren't married, but they're thinking about getting a house together, and they go into this, uh, it's, it's in England, even though Jesse Eisenberg is American in the movie. He doesn't do a fake English accent, which is lovely, wonderful. Thank you um, for that choice. And then uh, they Because he wind listens. Up... <laughs> yeah. He knows. He's he one knows. of our 38 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you never know. Um, uh, they, they wind up in this um, community, this kind of um, community where all the buildings are the same, but they the guy shows them a house and then he disappears and then they can't leave and they're stuck there for who knows how long in this artificial village all by themselves. I know actually a child shows up, which is even more disturbing. And, and like every time they drive down the road, right, they keep driving down the road to leave and they wind up coming back in front of the same house, right? And if they run, you know, all this kind of stuff, but it just kind of goes from there. Deeply disturbing movie is apparently, I think, a metaphor for, uh, I don't know, somebody writing a movie. Anything. <laughs> anything. Yeah, right, basically. <laughs> for marriage? Ma marriage, family, <laughs> settling down, yeah, whatever. Traps, I don't know what. It, it, it didn't leave me with a good feeling at the end, but it also didn't make me feel like, oh, I, I need to change anything. It's just like, oh, I'm, I'm okay with where I live. Thank God. Um, 
A drugstore Cowboy. Watch that again. Wow. Awesome. It's an awesome movie. Yeah, it, it, I think it holds up. It was fun. What's um, her name's um, Kelly Lynch? Yes, isn't that? Film? Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah. She is. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it's like it makes me wonder why she isn't in more movies. Is she? It's just not movies I watch. Because she's she was really in Roadhouse. Weird. I don't know if you've seen right. the film Roadhouse. It's I have seen film. Roadhouse. <laughs> it's a really good film. Um, <laughs> Patrick Swayze. William. It's William S. Burroughs in in uh, Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. He is. And uh, what's his name? The lead actor. <laughs> Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. I was, Matt Dillon. I thought I, I was waiting for Jim to say it. Yeah. Jim's my $20,000 pyramid partner. I don't know what the, what the gong sounds like on $20,000 pyramid. I'll figure <laughs> that out. Our, our friend, you know, Liz always tells me the story and I don't really remember, but, you know, we were playing at CBGB's at some point, probably during a CMJ music thing, you know, festival thing. And, I was standing outside with Liz talking, and then I said something, oh, there's there's Matt Dillon. And she was like, ha-ha, laughing, and turned around, and there's Matt Dillon over there. But I, I don't, I do, re, I guess I do remember seeing Matt Dillon out there, but I don't remember, I don't know. But that's the one, I, I have seen him in person. Did he go to the show? Possibly, I don't know. We had, I think it was, it was like the same thing, it was like, I have, in my mind, it's like, oh, there's Matt Dillon, and then I look over, and there's Goober and the Peas. You know, in the same scene in my mind, because whenever we, we played at CBGB's, it was always, well, we, we played there a bunch of times, but it was sometimes we played there at the CMJ thing, which was like, you know, South by Southwest. I don't know, the kids, I don't know if they know what CMJ was, but it was like this music. Do they know what South by Southwest is? Right. <laughs> but anyways, Not anymore. they, uh, yeah, whenever we were in town for CMJ, it was like, Oh, they're those guys in cowboy hats outside of CBGB's. Was like every time, and then well, we we finally met them. It, it was probably like once or twice, but we we met them pretty early on. But we played with them a bunch of times. But it was like, oh, they're always those guys with those cowboys hanging out outside CBGB's. But I, I always remember seeing Matt Damon, then a bunch of guys in fancy cowboy. And outfits. Matt Damon or Matt Dillon? Matt Dillon. Oh, uh, Matt yeah. Dillon. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Then that's also a brush with fame where it's like, I'm pretty sure that Jack White was the drummer for Goober and the Peas a couple of times when we played with them, but I have no memory of that. But if right. the timeline is right, where it's like, oh, that the young guy, I can't remember what they called him. Did They, they didn't call him Junior because one of the, the other guy's nickname was Junior, right? But he was like... Right, the guitar player. Yeah, but they, they had a nickname for the drummer who was young. <laughs> and right. then I realized, you know, 10 years later that, oh, that was probably Jack White. Right. I should have talked to him. <laughs> Brushes with fame. Ryan O'Neill, yeah. Jack White, uh, Matt oh, Dillon. Keanu Reeves. Keanu, Reeves. Right. Keanu, Keanu Reeves, Reeves was definitely a... Well, we were opening for... Uh, it was probably Failure. No, it wasn't. It was before yeah. Failure. Maybe it was Swerve Driver or something. Yeah. He was at a show at the Whiskey in L.A. We were opening for another band. But I remember walking up to the balcony. I was like, oh, there's... That's Keanu Reeves. Patricia Arquette was that a show? Wow, really? Yeah, I don't remember that. Um, the, <laughs> the best I ever had was Fred Schneider opened for a band that I played in. <laughs> that's really cool. You so were there. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I've actually met oh, Fred yeah. Schneider. I forgot about that. We can't. But, I can't uh, actually. I couldn't shake his hand though because if we touched each other, we'd both explode because I'm basically just a clone of Fred Schneider. Apparently, <laughs> Fred Schneider. 
I don't think you look like Fred Schneider. I don't look like him. It's my voice. It's people. I, I ever you, tell you that story it, where yeah. I, I worked really hard on my vocals for one record, and then the mastering engineer, the first thing he says when he's listening to the new record is he goes, boy, you're doing more of that Fred Schneider stuff than you usually do. <laughs> it was like, thanks a lot. It's like I tried. I really tried really hard. But no. Well, anybody who has a somewhat who sings with their nasal resonator can do a good Fred Schneider. I mean, what I call my nose, (laughs) nasal resonator. (laughs) That's the medical. (laughs) That's what it'll be called 20 years from now. I'm trying to just get to the future. (laughs) The medical term. (laughs) (laughs) I took some vocal lessons myself, by the way, and that's what I learned that they call it. (laughs) The nasal resonator. I've never taken voice lessons. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. Oh, you just been working on your voice. I, I was just working on it. I was help. just like, yeah. Obviously, I should have taken vocal lessons because I thought I was making changes in in my delivery, but it was all basically the same. I took vocal lessons for two years, and it was the most dehumanizing. And I've been through a lot of dehumanizing experiences. It was the most dehumanizing thing I've ever experienced as an adult. I just, it's just an hour a day, of, an hour a week of somebody just yelling at you. You got to break them down before they're good. I got a lot more stuff. You want me to keep going yeah, here? Yeah, keep going. Yeah. I watched we'll a cut, Bill we'll cut Wyman. Yeah, we'll, a, Bill Dim- a Bill Diamond. A Bill Wyman documentary called The Quiet One, which I thought was uh, John Entwistle, but apparently they also called Bill Wyman The Quiet One, um, <laughs> which was great. I, I enjoyed it. He's a freak in that he, not that he marries, you know, underage women, which they didn't mention at all, really, kind of. It, they kind of glossed over it, but... Um, that he's always been a collector and a hoarder. So he's just, you know, he's just, and I knew he was the Rolling Stones archivist, but it's like, he's got this whole building where he keeps stuff. And it's really fascinating to see all the bits and pieces that he has. Like he has, that was the greatest thing is they were talking about the uh, concert in Hyde Park the day, two days after Brian Jones died. Right. And it's Mick Taylor, Mick Taylor's debut concert. And it's like 250,000 people in Hyde Park and they released those butterflies. And then they show a picture of Bill Wyman's, uh, he's got one of the butterflies in a in a glass case, you know, pinned to it, you know. So he's he's even got one of the butterflies from that concert. It's just, it's you know. It's, Wait, run me it's, through the timeline again. Two days after Brian Jones dies, Mick Taylor is playing with the Rolling Stones. So was so Brian Jones kicked out of the Stones he was, yeah, he, before he died? Yeah, he was out. Way before, just right. a month. Oh. But they were talking it, like he was maybe going to come back. Or yeah, something. he was like gone. I think it was like a month. They kicked him out, and he died a month later. I mean, he was already kind of falling apart, and they were done with him. If you watch, have you ever watched? Uh, they usually call it Sympathy for the Devil, but it's actually a Jean Luc Godard film, which the name I can't remember. Where it's, you know, uh, I think it's Black Panther speeches, people giving. Black Panther speeches in a junkyard interspersed with the Rolling Stones working on Sympathy for the Devil. And you can oh, see already we have there been that watching Brian. That. Yeah. 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 The, the Sympathy for the Devil studio stuff is him just, uh, yeah, he seems already out of it. Um, pretty, pretty excluded. And then they, yeah, they fired him finally. And then he drowned in his swimming pool or was drowned, depending on who you talk to. Um, and then, uh, yeah. A. 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 Mills, former swim. Right. I forgot about he that. Lifted, <laughs> the writer of Winnie the Pooh. It was 
his house was his was A. A. Milne's house. Of course it was. Just like Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Page lives in one of Alistair Crowley's old houses, right? It was well, the ghost of A. 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 Milne. Drowned Brian Jones. Brian Jones. Yeah. I think that's what happened. I think Page moved out of that house, but he did live in that house for a yeah. long time. Yeah. John DeLorean documentary with uh, Alec, uh, not Alec Guinness, not Baldwin? Alec Guinness, Alec Baldwin as Bald- John DeLorean, like doing recreations. It was very interesting. I actually learned more about uh, John DeLorean than I learned about Jane Jacobs, even though I think the Jane Jacobs documentary was more, was better constructed. Uh, the John DeLorean documentary, I learned a lot more about him. It's fascinating. But yeah, he wasn't really, uh, he kind of, it, it was one of those classic stings where they, you know, basically uh, created a whole drug deal to, you know, entrap him. Well, no, they kind of fused two people they were trying to entrap <laughs> and, and wound up getting John DeLorean involved in a $24 million cocaine transaction. But then he wound up not actually being directly involved in the transaction. He was just somehow getting getting some kind of benefit from it. I can't remember. It was it was it was interesting though. Won't he be pissed like five years from now when cocaine's legal? <laughs> Is that your timeline? It's terrible. <laughs> it's fascinating the stuff about like Northern Ireland too, which leads into the next movie I watched. I just watched this the other day. It was called Seventy One and it's um from a few years ago. It's a British soldier in Belfast. He gets uh separated from his uh well no, did not re- yeah there's a right he's he's a british off or a british uh army a british soldier um in belfast doing kind of like a routine uh run <laughs> and then uh there winds up being a riot and he gets separated from his platoon or whatever and then winds up in the middle of belfast overnight trying to survive <laughs> and people are basically passing him around and you don't know there are people who are uh you know, playing both sides, he's being protected by royalists and then being protected or whatever they're called. Right? I can't remember now the differentiations, but, um, you know, uh, basically being passed around and then also slowly being <laughs> whittled down physically, kind of, not not literally, he's not getting parts chopped off, but he's just getting more and more hurt as, as this progresses. And it's, it's oh, it was it was pretty brutal, but also interesting to see it in the context of a Western city, right? So Belfast, English people, 1971. It's parallels like everything you always, you know, all these movies about, you know, the Middle East or whatever and, you know, terrorism and all that kind of stuff. And to see that same dynamic with a bunch of, you know, Irishmen and Englishmen. Yeah, white people, you know, and realizing, oh, crap, this was was not that long ago. So it was pretty, it, it was rough. It reminded me, a little bit of, of Detroit. So I did watch Detroit. I think, did we talk about that? I watched yeah, that. I, I like that film. Yeah. Bigelow. And Catherine yeah. Bigelow. It reminded me kind of of that um, same kind of vibe where it's just, it's just kind of brutal and horrible. And uh, yeah, things just keep getting worse, right? Did you like, like it, Detroit? I thought it was okay. I saw The Lighthouse. Oh, The Lighthouse. <laughs> what? Did you like The Lighthouse? Did you, I, I, I did. I enjoyed it. It had a little too much stuff that I couldn't watch, but other than that, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Yet. I think you would really? enjoy it, Jim. 
the sex scene? What couldn't you watch? Uh, having sex with a mermaid? No. <laughs> there were other things. Involving oh. an axe. Oh. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> Axes are never bad. What yeah. you, just like chopping down trees. <laughs> What I really liked is I, I had to look it up. It's in the, in a really strange aspect ratio, so it's in a silent film aspect ratio. So oh, it's not even yeah. Academy aspect ratio. It's black and white and um, pre-Academy aspect ratio, so it's almost a square. It's really neat mm-hmm. um, because it, it's still expansive, right? I think you get a feeling of uh, claustrophobia in the interior stuff, but then the exterior mm-hmm. stuff, it doesn't feel that claustrophobic. So it's, it's a really interesting convention that I thought... And it worked out. And Willem Dafoe reprising his role as the Green Goblin (laughs) from the Spider-Man films. Yeah, Willem Dafoe is one of those actors where I could, I think, it it doesn't matter. He is an actor where any movie, it doesn't matter how good or bad the movie is, I'll watch him in that. He transcends almost every role and movie he's in. So even if it's awful, it's, it's great just to watch him. I'm a huge To Live and Die in L.A. fan. Right. Fishing with Fishing John. With John. That's his best work. Most amazing episode of Fishing with John is, and that's very, it's in fact you could say I'm going to have to go back and watch the Willem Dafoe episode of Fishing with John because that may actually just be the lighthouse, may be a yeah. ripoff of that. It's just maybe an hour and a half version of that episode of Fishing with John. Now that I think about it, well, Jim, what what have you consumed? Media, TV, <laughs> film. Exactly. You know me very well. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I watched any movies. So, I uh, oh, I watched. Uh, um, I've been watching uh, No More Jockeys and Bad Golf on YouTube. That's mainly what I've been consuming. <laughs> okay. Which are Alex Alex Horn vehicles, who's the creator of uh, Taskmaster, which crashed and burned on American TV this past week or two. Yeah, so they they tried to they tried to put it on TV and it got canceled immediately, but it's just a show I've watched, you know, it's a very popular show and on uh, British TV for the past 5 or 6, I don't know how many years. It's they they tried to put it on what is it CW or something. Yeah. They they sh- they showed one episode and then pulled it immediately, but it's back on on some other like on like, the streaming service you can watch. But it's just season eight, yeah. so that's what they did, is they just imported the eighth season from the UK and tried to put it on American TV, because previously they you had talked about this. I think maybe you talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. The, Reggie Watts did an American version yeah. on Comedy Central, and that made sense. Right. But then I thought, oh, they were doing a new version on the CW with the, the British hosts, but then American... Uh, comedians but no, no it's like yeah. it's like what who in america is going to watch cw yeah, yeah <laughs> CW. like who's going to watch obscure i don't mean to say this but obscure british comedians i mean they're not well known in america right um Absolutely. Uh, oh yeah yeah and yeah yeah it's crazy it was just and just throw it on for one yeah. episode and then pull it so i think part of it was what i heard is is that the youtube channel they they've put everything up on youtube and those old seasons are going through the roof and so yeah because of what you you know you you kept talking about it you wouldn't stop talking about taskmaster jim (laughs) like we're watching it now you know jimmy just prattles on he does (laughs) in fact it's like as if 
I haven't already taken over. He's talked about one thing, and now I've already <laughs> taken over and started talking <laughs> over it. But we, we're, we're up to season three of Taskmaster now in our household. Uh-huh. But that first season, the first season of British Taskmaster, that, that's, it's a work of art. Yeah, and that's like Tim Key, right, yeah. isn't it? Tim Key, who is in, he's kind of a, he's, he's involved in it. He's like, I think he creates tasks too, but he was actually in the cast. But he was in uh, like Alan Partridge and stuff. Or he, he's been in, yeah, he's, he's really funny. But Alex Horn created Taskmaster. And he, uh, see, yeah, my, le- my levels are, I don't know what's going you on. You sound okay. Never, okay, good. that's good. Never mind. Okay. Anyways, Alex Horn created, yeah, Taskmaster. And he, he's, uh, um, he has these other little YouTube channels, and one of them is is uh, yeah, it's called No More Jockeys, and it's with Tim Key, another comedian. Um, I've forgotten his name right now. I should remember his name, but anyways, the three of them do this. It's like a like parlor games, like a word game that they do together on on Zoom or whatever. You know, since it's a lockdown thing, you know, they just have recorded this little game they play with each other. The three of them. It's a word game. You start thinking of people's names, and you, you add a name, and then you exclude a category that that person fits into. And so you can't name a person that... It's hard to explain, but anyway. So it's called No More Jockeys because like somebody would start out with a jockey, and then they say, yeah. No More Jockeys, right? And then the next person right. has to think someone who's not a jockey. And then after that, if it's like Alec Baldwin, right, then it's like No More... Um, a, B, like... First and second name is alphabetical, you yeah. know, A, B. Oh, it's stuff so like that. So one guy calls out the name, the other guy calls out the rule associated with the name, and then you have to keep going? No, no. The same, you call out a name, and then you you establish a restriction. Oh, cool. And they just pile up, and it gets harder and harder. And It's like 20 questions no way almost can... in reverse, right? You're, you're like narrowing down the categories, or and to the point where like you can't think of a person who, who it doesn't, fit outside of all the rules that have come before. Yeah. And there's, there's, it's kind of bluffing too, because they don't always remember every rule. You never remember all the rules. So there's been things where you catch, it's like, oh, well, that, that would have fit in this category and everything, but it's just a silly game they play. And it's, it's just, it's, it's entertaining, but it it could be, I could see it being very annoying, (laughs) but I find it very entertaining, but and then he, yeah, Alex Horn has this other one that's uh, him and this other comedian just playing golf, and it's called Bad Golf. <laughs> it's just them. Are they good at golf? You know, no, they're bad. Well, they're, that's the thing. See, that's kind of an argument. I think that it's like they started getting kind of good. But they aren't terrible, but they're obviously into golf, and they enjoy it, and they're trying to get better. So they're, they're taking it seriously. Just it's basically just them going out and playing golf together, and they film it with a little GoPro or whatever, and it's edited very, you know, it's kind of haphazardly, but entertainingly. That that's what I like about Taskmaster. Part of it is the uh, production design of the show, and it's not just Alex Horn. That that's that's the thing about Bad Golf is just him, and you know, the, a lot of it's very stripped down, but it's kind of like Taskmaster a bit, but. I, the Taskmaster has a lot of fun camera stuff. You know, it's just simple camera tricks and 
uh, scenery and things. And it's just the way it's filmed is entertaining even, you know, and it's just the settings. It's all quirky and bad golf is just two guys, two friends playing golf, like mediocre golf. And, and, and they're just such, they're kind of like uh, polar opposites, I guess. Alex Horn and um, John Robbins is the other guy that he's a comedian also. And John Robbins is completely neurotic and swearing constantly. And Alex Horn is completely laid back. And, and it's just, that's the, the whole dynamic is really entertaining too. So it's like so. if you and I went to play golf, <laughs> yeah. essentially. What of the three would be the, the gateway drug to the other two, would you say? If I were to start somewhere, Taskmaster? You should definitely watch yeah. Taskmaster season one. Yeah. I mean, that... Start at the beginning, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's up on YouTube. It's just it's just a goofy little game show, basically, with it's like five comedians, and they just do stupid... It's it's more than that, though, Jim. You, you undersold it. I, th- I, th- the, I know. The dynamic <laughs> and the, the way they interweave so it's it's they're doing challenges and everything like that but then they they do 10 weeks of challenges and they haven't seen each other and then all of a sudden they're all together in the room live reviewing what everyone did to to see who won and found the best solution to the task and then yeah the different approaches and then and it's a bunch of comedians so they're all you know taunting each other and they they all have their individual characters and there's this it's a complex dynamic that winds up somebody said i read someone said it was more like a sitcom in a weird way because you start in the same way with a reality show right people have their personalities but these are comedians so they're also you know funny i finished uh schitt's creek i thought oh, yeah. it was, i thought it was just the best I, I wish i had lived in a world like schitt's creek it's, it's it's utopia. It really is. Maybe that's what Canada really is like. I don't know. Uh, Chris uh, Elliott. Anything with Chris Elliott, right? Oh yeah, he was fantastic in it too. Is he Canadian though? He's not. Right? No, he's not. He's the son of what would what would they always call him on David Lemon? The son of Bob and Ray. Was the joke. <laughs> he is the son of somebody though. He's the son of Bob Elliott Bob, of the oh, comedy Bob, team Bob, Bob and Ray, Ray, but the oh. joke was is that he's the son of Bob and Ray, which he actually isn't. He's only the son of one of them. All right, I saw Mystify. How do you? Where do you two fall on the um, the in excess side of things? Pro, anti. <laughs> How do you feel about in excess? It's one of my. I don't know. I I it's one of my first records. Not one of my first records, but I remember being into NXS. Shabu Shaba, maybe? No. The the big record, right? The one with all the riffs. Listen Like Thieves? Yeah. Kick? Couldn't actually, Kick was kind of, we were, we no, were a little no. past oh, okay. NXS. So point. Listen Like Thieves yeah, for a before that, yeah. Can't remember it. I They're a guilty, guilty pleasure. I think, Chris, you yeah. once talked about, uh, what was that band, the 90s band with the guy who died? <laughs> that wasn't Nirvana. In excess. <laughs> no. In excess. 90s band. Oh, I thought I was going to win $20,000. <laughs> the 90s not band. Velvet oh, Revolver. Soundgarden. No. Not Velvet Revolver. Not Velvet Revolver, but... Oh, uh, yeah. The, what, I'll buy their greatest hits album in a heartbeat. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, what is the name of that band? Grunge Light. Or Grunge Opportunists. 
Everybody, we don't even need to say it, right? But we're not going to win the money if we don't say it. Yeah, the, 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 I feel STP, the same way Stone about Stone Temple excess. Pilots. Exactly. I feel the same way. It's like they're guilty pleasures. I, I love, there are certain um, in excess songs that I, I love. And I, yeah, that record, the, the super hit record where all the songs are just riffs, basically, right? They do, I think some of those songs don't even have, you know, Chris, we talked a little bit about uh, arrangements, song patterns and things like that. And I think some of those in excess songs are just one riff, right? Yeah. Which, or at least I have that perception. And so I, I like that kind <laughs> of music. So that's, that was, uh, I, I thought that stuff was great. And in my studies of song, songs, that is a type of song, is to just find a really great hook and just let it go. Yeah. And then just add over it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I like Shabu Shabai. I thought it was just a fantastic record. And, uh, but this, and I loved Hutchins. Like I thought Hutchins was great looking guy. Great head of hair and also just an amazing <laughs> voice. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't think of somebody who had such... He had an Elvis-like voice, just a completely mm -hmm. unique and commanding voice. If you listen to it, you just can't... Like, And I always kind of never gave it and paid it any attention for some reason. I, was, I always thought Bono was the good singer. Well, the truth is yeah. Hutchins was a way better singer than Bono. If you, if you, and if you watch this documentary, Bono was kind of always around him whispering in his ear i think bono kind of got him to push him off the deep end or something to get him out of the way but that's that's just a theory i'll move on from that but anyways very sad. not to tangent not to tangent but talking about bono so that was there one of a moment of crisis in one of our recording sessions um the uh engineer thought it would help me to listen to uh bono singing they had had by happenstance had uh, master tapes of a U2 song because somebody who worked at the studio was doing a remix and played me um, raw Bono vocals, right? Um, before it had the effects on it and everything like that with the idea like, that ah, yeah, ah, to make me feel better about my Fred Schneider voice, apparently, right? <laughs> and, uh, and it had the exact reverse effect where it was like everything they were listening for, which was like what, being on key and everything like that, and the fact that he sang into a SM58 or whatever he does, right? He's, you know, Bono's, Bono's a hack and all that kind of stuff just made me spiral even deeper into depression. Yeah, as, as somebody who is self-conscious about his singing voice, when I found out that Bono just uses an SM58, I was like, okay, I fucking quit. All yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> and, it's, and it was like... Face it, I can't sing. Let's, I just need to move on and... Either just I don't know. Anyway, let's let this could this could devolve. I saw Wreck and Wreck Two, both Spanish zombie films. They are not too great. Um, I saw from Portug Portuguese zombie films are better. Oh, they are. Well, maybe I don't know. That's Portuguese what I heard. Wine. You haven't seen a Portuguese zombie film? Never. Never. Hmm. I have Interesting. Had, I have drank during a Portuguese lunch, so that's, that's all they I probably heard. went to see the film. After you went to your hotel room and took a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had all the bim and vigor to go see a zombie movie. <laughs> I watched uh, From Beyond, which was a Stuart Gordon film. He's the guy who did the reanimator. It was the film he did right yeah. after reanimator. Wow. Um, I feel like I may have seen that. It was a body, like a body horror film. It was okay. It was gross out humor. And then I watched, oh no, that was Society. Well, both of them are kind of body horror. Now I think about it. I watched Duh Five Bloods. 
Have you guys watched that? Oh, I started watching that. I haven't finished it. It's okay. Not a good not a good endorsement. Yeah. Because typically I you know, I, I, I watch a Spike Lee movie all the way through, but I I'll go back and watch it. I love Spike Lee. I love his movies. I just yeah. thought this one was a little forced. I watched two films because I was just depressed because I had this sort of global event that's going on dragged me down a little bit. So I watched I wanted to watch something. You're before. weak, you wuss. <laughs> I wussed out. What's wrong with you? It was a weekday. I don't think it's unusual for people to be unhappy right now. Sorry. Right. Well, I, I'm I was trying, trying to make a joke of it. And, yeah. I, I've got lots of reasons to be happy. So I don't. And so your your point is kind of well taken. But I, I watched Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout, uh, which I love. But it's just like candy. It's just like eating candy for three straight hours. <laughs> and then I watched uh, Avengers Endgame because I remember thinking that was a really bad movie the first time I saw it. And the second time I saw it, I thought it was better than the first time I saw it. But, And then Blood Quantum, which was a great zombie film uh, that takes place on an Indian reservation in Canada, I think. Wow. And it was really timely because it addresses a bunch of racial issues. Um, but really well done. Highly recommend that film. It uh, oh, is yeah. extremely violent and has <laughs> some, some significant gross-out scenes, Rick, so you might want to pass. Oh, including a scene... Where uh, a woman's baby, who is a zombie, I think, eats its way out of the woman. Oh! And then they See, have to kill have... the baby and the mother because the mother is then oh. turns into a zombie from the yeah. baby eating its way out of the mom. Oh, so, so terrible! You, that might, you know, you might not like that. <laughs> no, I don't like it already. I watched uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. It's the only Fast and the Furious movie I hadn't seen. Outstanding. Uh, masterpiece. Is it the best? The best one? Close. Close to the best. One of the, one of the best. I watched uh, Once We're Brothers, the documentary on the band. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I thought it was good. One-sided. The rest of them are dead, so... Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's, they talk a little bit about it, but it's like, yeah, it's basically Robbie Robertson getting back at Levon Helm now that he can't say anything. It's, yeah, if you know anything about their history. And they talk a little bit about it, but yeah, it's, it's a little one-sided. It, it's, yeah, it, and the only guy that's still alive, I think, is Garth, and he's a little. Bit, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's like he's a little bit like Jim. He's the magical creature of the group, but he wouldn't necessarily <laughs> go out of his way to to counter Robbie Robertson. So Robbie was pretty safe. <laughs> Once all the other did they even died, he was just like I can. Did they even him. interview him in 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 the contemporary era? Oh, I no. think they had like a. Rec- did they have him in person? I don't remember. No, I don't think. He I was think they, was it like a Muppet? They had his voice. Like from an earlier interview, but I don't think he... So he's alive, but I don't think they interviewed him for the film or he didn't want to be interviewed. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. It was a puppet of him, but he do, it really sounded like <laughs> Robbie Robertson. It was kind of... He's like, I thought Robbie's songs were great. <laughs> Robbie is the best songwriter of the 20th century. That story he tells about Bob Dylan complimenting him and envying him, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I watched uh, Creep 1 and Creep 2, which were horror films that um, uh, there's a couple uh, gross moments in them, but otherwise pretty pretty just uh, jump scare. They were really good. The Duplass brothers uh, made those good films. Really? Interesting. Yeah, I recommend them. They're, they're... That was an actual, not a sarcastic interesting. I oh, didn't that's know right. that they made. <laughs> yeah, the same guys that did that... Um, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed movie did the two creep movies, yeah. and they're good. They're really good. 
Huh. I watched The Outpost, which was the best war film I've ever seen. However you might feel about it. It's about a uh, either a Pakistani or Afghanistan outpost that uh, U.S. tried to hold. It was known as the Alamo. It was one of the worst ideas or um, military strongholds in those wars, and it was just a, a bloodbath. Yeah, I heard an interview. I I, I realized I thought I I'd seen it, but I hadn't. I I heard an interview with the director. Right there, there are two movies about that story. Right, it's, he was talking about it as like such a compelling story, and so there was another film competing in production about it. I believe. Hmm. I'll have to see that, that incident. One. I don't know if it came out though. Well, it's a new film, right? It's yeah, a recent brand film. New. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they yeah, just yeah, put yeah, it out yeah. on Netflix or some some streaming service. I forget which. Had it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I totally forgot about that interview. That was a good interview. So I'll have to. Ch- and now that you've recommended the movie, I'll have to watch it. It'll s- actually stay in my brain now. Yes, lot lots of good action in it. Um, I don't think it's very political. I don't think there's a political side you're on in the film. I think it's just about the position that we put soldiers in and. You know, it's it can be quite unfair and sad, um, but then again, there's a there's a victory component to it as well. I watched Crawl, the Alexandra Alexander Aja uh, film about alligators in a flood in Florida. Hmm. It's just a creature feature. It's great. Um, but they like float into people's houses and eat them or something because yep. there's a flood. Yep, <laughs> oh. exactly the, the great, plot of it. Great <laughs> idea. That's all you need. It's a good concept. With a lot of interesting nods to uh, Spielberg and uh, Lucas in it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it's just you know dumb fun. So the Spielberg reference that's like Schindler's List, and then Lucas, it's uh, what was that movie about the the pilots with Jim Belushi? From 1941. 41. I 41. watched that a, a while ago. That's a fascinating movie, 1941. Never seen it. Fascinating. Oh, it's you should like watch neighbors. it. Neighbors. Yeah, Neighbors. neighbors. Oh, I forgot that. We were talking. Yeah, we were talking about Blues Brothers, and it's like, oh. I know. I was going to tell you, yeah, because I read, I read that. I have the novel. Right. It's kind of an interesting book, you know, but <laughs> that they base, like, why would they make a, this movie? The novel is is darker, you know. Obviously, I feel like it, I read the novel still, too. It's the guy who wrote Little Big Man, and then yeah, what's the one? Of, oh no, I watched, I read the one about the families. It's kind of like the Hatfield and McCoys, but it's like, I guess that might be Neighbors, right? <laughs> I yeah, can't remember. Kinda. Yeah, it must have been Neighbors. Yeah, it's a it was it's a, a strange movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very interesting movie. And now this is this is a thing. This is a famous person I actually talked to is Tim Kazarinsky. Now Tim Kazarinsky's yes. is in Neighbors, right? I was in a room full of very famous people, and then I said to the semi, the famous person I knew, said, is that Tim Kazarinsky? And she went, yeah, do you want to meet him? And he was just standing there with his son, right? Because it was Chicago, and, and so all these fa- super famous people are talking to each other. But like me, I'm not like, oh, can you introduce me to blah, 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 and everything like that. I'm like, I want to meet Tim Kazarinsky. <laughs> and then that was the initial part of our conversation. I was trying to remember if he was in Neighbors or oh, what was the other movie? It was a little insulting because I couldn't remember which, which he was in. But then and we had a nice conversation. That's, that's the thing is I'm more excited by meeting someone like Tim Kazarinski than uh, Ryan O'Neill. He should be. He should be. Yeah. A, he's probably closer to a real person. 
He, he was. He, he was, and he seemed, you know, th- thrilled to talk to somebody who was excited to talk to him, and his kid was there, so it was like his kid was thrilled, I think, that there was a guy, <laughs> some weird, wacko dude from central Illinois was just really excited to talk to him. I met, um, who's the guy that plays the page on 30 Rock? Oh, yeah, Jack Brewer. Jack, yeah, so I met Jack Brewer at, at a... Um, at an event, and I had like a 20-minute conversation with him, really great conversation. Uh, again, there was a lot of other more famous people in the room. And then an hour goes by, hour and a half goes by, and I'm just standing around having a drink somewhere else, not talking to anybody. And he comes up to me and says, hey, I'm leaving. I just wanted to come by and say it was really nice talking to you, nice to meet you, and then walked out. I was like... <laughs> Wow, that's the coolest celebrity I've ever met in my life. Like, who would he walk over to some nobody and be like, "It was really nice talking to you." That's it's, class. It's good to know that he's a nice guy. You know, he seems like he, his character. You know, that kind of stereotype. He's been um, stereotype. What is it called? Ca- uh, what do they call it when actors cast stereo? Cast. <laughs> <laughs> cast type type kettled type cast type type type. <laughs> I don't, you know, honestly, I don't think we could even make it past the, uh, the tryouts for $20,000 pyramid, you know, like if they had like a cattle call where they had like a hundred people in a room trying to, to get on to $20,000 pyramid, that first level, you know, where they're in a hotel room in a local, local hotel and they're just some production assistant is interviewing people to see if they could be on $20,000 pyramid. I don't think, I don't feel like I would even make it through that part. Jack McBrayer. Jack, oh, I'm so sorry. Who's Jack After Brewer? You were so nice to me at that party, and I got your name wrong. I know he listens, so <laughs> I'm he's he's like that that beautiful man that I talked to at that party ten years ago <laughs> has a podcast, and I'm going to listen to every episode. I could see him doing that. Yeah, he may, he might have said it, like I really like that guy. I hope he gets a podcast someday. <laughs> <laughs> Then, you know, you said he's a real nice guy, but then there's also the time where my wife and him got really drunk together, and at some point in the evening, she said he was just shaking her by the shoulders. <laughs> but they were having fun. It was all in good fun. She right. wasn't complaining. About uh, Those actors. Those actors are crazy. They are crazy. I watched uh, Fury of the Demon, which was a mockumentary <laughs> on uh, a film that allegedly possessed its audience. It was okay. Uh, Duck You Sucker. I finally watched that. Oh, great. Absolutely. Did you like it? Masterpiece. I mean, I don't know what... Um, you would think a guy who constantly is talking about being Italian and talking about Italian directors and mistaking Catherine Bigelow for an Italian, you would think <laughs> that I would have seen all of the Sergio Leone films because there's only seven of them, nine of them. There's not that many, and they're all incredibly highly rated. I didn't realize how... Uh, so I'm going to watch them all. Ducky Sucker was incredible, just awesome. Yeah, and then I yeah, st- I think some people don't like it. Yeah, but I, I don't think it has. It's not on the lo- people don't consider it as good as the other ones. But I I yeah I loved it. I mean it was it was a masterpiece. It was just incredible. And then I started listening to a lot of Morricone. And unlike Leone, Morricone's done hundreds of films. <laughs> um, and I started listening to his soundtracks. And I mean he was a he, now he's up there with Bernard Herrmann. I didn't realize like how yeah. good of a soundtrack guy he was. Uh, what do you call that? Yeah, definitely. Scorer? <laughs> what do you call a soundtrack guy? Soundtrack guy? Composer. For $100. Soundtrack guy for $100. <laughs> Film composer. I, I, I just, yeah, well, well, since, yeah, he just died a couple, well, was it a month yeah. ago? 
and the story, yeah, I, I had never heard from one of the articles I read, like a obituaries or something, and it was like mentioning this avant-garde stuff that he did in the 60s, and it was like this kind of music collective he was in. It's kind of like not prog rock, but it's all like kind of on YouTube, but it, the vinyl, the album is like one of the most expensive pieces of vinyl you can buy, you know. <laughs> I can't remember. It's very rare. You can find it on YouTube, but it's like, I think it's like the they're called like the group or something. It's like Il Grupo. I can't remember what the one El record Grupo is called. Il Grupo Sexo, that like um, El, no. ska band from the 80s. I didn't realize no, he was no. in that. No, it was like, yeah, it was like in the, the 60s when he was already pretty successful. And well, I think he started in the 50s with this group. What did he play? You know, what instrument? Crazy. That, I don't know if he played piano. He It was strange. It wasn't like piano or anything, but... He wasn't like the main guy, but he was involved. But he was definitely the most successful. But he was he was involved in it from before he became successful in movie scores. But it's interesting. And he was like kind of at the top of his game, whatever. He was, you know, in Hollywood and he was still jamming with these guys and recording records. Mr. Bungle? Was he in Mr. Bungle? <laughs> Maybe. The music that he liked, right? As opposed to the music he did to pay the bills, right? So he's just like right. this this, yeah. this film stuff. It was like his friends. Yeah. Or yeah, it yeah. was like he was definitely involved with these guys early on. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll record another record with you guys. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Of course, I had to watch one serial killer documentary. This was the Michelle McNamara, <laughs> based on the Michelle McNamara book about the Golden State Killer. Michelle McNamara actually died um, in the course of writing oh, a book the... about him. Relic which was a, a horror film. It was a very sad commentary on dementia and generational care. And I would recommend it to you, Rick, except for there's a scene where a woman peels off her mother's entire skin layer. So I don't, I don't know if you can make it through that scene. But if you can, <laughs> what, um, I recommend it. Is that a new movie? Brand new. Or it, Yeah. Oh, okay, so there was another movie called Relic, I remember in the VCR days, right? VHS, so. there was some movie called Relic, right? But it was a, I think it was a bad horror film. This one was a, this is one of those highfalutin horror films like you guys like that Midsummer mm. and the, it's a slow, long, drawn out, just right, just yeah. a few bits of raw meat thrown in for the Chris Chris Losts <laughs> of the world. Right, look, I just want to give everybody, all you filmmakers out there, a sage piece of advice. If you're going to make a horror film, no more ninety minutes, no more ninety <laughs> minutes. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Right? You're not Leone. You're not making a Sergio Leone film. Make a 90-minute horror film. Get it over with. They're Christ they're sake. building tension. You're gonna. You guys are not gonna like this. I guess. I guess. Well, let me see. I watched Safe, which was a just a, a garbage action film with um, the guy who looks like Le our friend Larry. Um, the English guy, right? Yeah, the English guy who no. looks like our friend Larry. Who is he, yeah. Jim? He's in the Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any he's of those. It's possible. I know Larry. Well, he's in, he's, I remember he's Larry. He's in a, 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 what's Richie, Guy Richie film. You should yeah. know that. It's British. Jason Statham. Statham. Yeah, Jason Statham. Statham. Uh, safe. Great movie. Not the not uh, the film Safe with uh, yeah. Julianne Moore where she becomes allergic to everything yeah. and has to live in her house. That Not that movie, so which I've never watched again. There's the I film. think that's on my list of movies I thought were great, but I will never watch again. 
Yeah, th- there's films that you can watch and there's films that, that you can't watch and films that I can't watch. And I watched Safe and I was like, I couldn't handle it. It freaked me out the whole time. And there was nothing gross about it. I just couldn't handle it. Um, yeah, I can barely remember it, but I, I know. And I'm almost to the point where it's like, oh, I should probably watch it again. And I think my I have a physical thing that's going on where it's just saying, no, don't watch it, Rick. Don't, don't do watch it. it, Rick. Don't do it. Unless you want to be a hypochondriac for the next five years. Um, if you're looking this for is that, the, this is the best time, go. best time for being a hypochondriac right oh, now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the film Swordfish was akin, was sort of the the bad equivalent of a Tarantino film in the same way that I thought Parallax View was the bad version of, uh, you know, it's all the President's Men or some of those or Marathon Man. I thought Parallax View was a sloppy, sloppy. In fact, I was watching it. It was recommended by. My brother-in-law, you guys recommended it, and at some point I was like, "Is this the film? This can't be the movie they recommended." With, with you don't like Parallax View. Warren Beatty, and he's got that hair that's like yeah. sky-high <laughs> well, hair. You probably wouldn't like Kevin Dean Wade either. Yeah. First of all, I have to say, Warren Beatty's not attractive. The music care, even if it wasn't yeah. a good movie, the music alone is chilling. Worth it, right? Yeah. The soundtrack that. Yeah, the music was good. Warren Beatty's... I do he's laugh. He's just not attractive. Maybe I just don't find him attractive. Is that the issue with yeah. him? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if... Yeah, Warren Beatty's beauty is, is an essential part of the story. But, <laughs> I mean, I guess it could be. It's like why a handsome man like that would not be framed. No, I'm saying he's not, not handsome. Be, no one would believe he's... I could a, see why he was framed because oh, okay. he was ugly. <laughs> right. Well, then it makes sense, doesn't it? Just alone, the scene of the programming or where they do the test and they see that, that he sees that film with the words and everything like that. That moment has been used so many times. It's been used by David Fincher, right? In the, the game, he, I think he references that really well. But you see that, that kind of like industrial film with the music, but then it's combining that, that aesthetic with brainwashing and everything like that. That moment I really love because it com- kind of combines that era kind of industrial filmmaking or advertising with brainwashing. It's a really nice moment. Here's the, here's the rub. I loved that scene. That scene was phenomenal. And, and it was incredibly well edited, like just the best, some of the best editing I've ever seen. And then some of the worst, most garbage editing I've ever seen in a film. I just unbelievably bad editing in the film. So I don't... I might have to look up who edited that film. It's probably one of the world's greatest editors. But uh, so what you're saying is the scene you liked is the one, the the test to find out if you're a serial killer, <laughs> right? That's the part you liked. That's that's the scene that appealed to you. No, the test to find out whether or not you're a sociopath, not a serial killer. Come on. Uh, okay. <laughs> serial killer would imply that he had already killed a serial people. Sociopath means he's got the capability to kill Potential. And you know that properly aimed is a, a very effective weapon. As we no, there's a scene like so, t- just there really was some sloppy shit in there. Like all the stuff he got away with was unrealistic. And then there's scenes like where he bats a guy in the face with a fishing pole, and it's like oh, really yeah. poorly cut. Like you're like, what happened there? A guy pulled a gun on you. Like it was really shit shot. And then yeah, that scene's. A little sloppy. There's this dumb car chase. It's almost like, what are we watching? Smoking the Bandit? And then he gets this, and I love Smoking the Bandit, don't get me wrong, but I mean, this wasn't a 90 minute. Oh, that surprises me that you love Smoking the Bandit. (laughs) 
wait a minute. I think we should spend a whole episode talking about that. <laughs> We've already done that Sorry. three times now. Yes, we could also talk about the Warriors. Yeah. No, but then he gets all this mud on his face in the car chase. Because the mud gets on the windshield, the mud gets on his face. And again, maybe this is just my OCD freaking me out because he's got so dirty. But then he gets out of the car, runs through a building, and then jumps into a garbage truck or whatever, and he's completely clean. You're ruining, like, one of my favorite movies. Look, I'll give you the middle scene is phenomenal. That 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 test video, incredible. And the rest of it was just, I, it lost me. But I knew if I came in here with that opinion... It was not going to be well received. Kenneth Mars is in it. You know, Kenneth Mars, who's in What's Up Doc, is the guy there on the little model train ride talking about how to how to create his uh, false identity. Kenneth Mars playing a completely, you know, serious, straight-ahead spook kind of character, you know, compared to the fact that at that same time he's in What's Up Doc and is in Young Frankenstein. There's so many things I love about that movie. Well, and um, David Hasselhoff's car is in is in Paralyzed View. <laughs> the part I do laugh out loud. I always laugh out loud the, the, at the very beginning of the film when uh, the, they're chasing the assassin on top of the space needle, and the guy just falls off, and it goes ah. I always <laughs> chuckle at that. The guy kind of slipping and then just falling off the space needle. That's great. But even that moment, oh. I can't even believe the assassination scene that at was the great. beginning where that was great. Yeah, that's a beautiful moment. Well done. The editing's great and the the switching back and forth between the interior and the exterior and the use of sound in that is amazing. Well and just, I think you're wrong, Chris. <laughs> the assassination <laughs> through the window I thought was really cool too. It yeah. Very it that's, actually that's what I meant. had a lot more impact than if you were in the room and the yeah. assassination happened. Yeah, that's the scene. Oh, and the ending, the the one in the 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 thing that happens in the uh, the Astrodome, right? Yes. That, all those shots in there. I mean, it, it definitely is indebted to Manchurian Candidate, the original one. Have you seen that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Never seen the remake, but I saw the original. I think I watched the remake and got really angry. In fact, I couldn't watch. Uh, who's Who's the Manchurian Candidate in that? He's a good actor too, but he makes me angry just because he was in that movie. Denzel Washington, I forgave, but... Uh, oh, yeah, Denzel Washington. Maybe I would like that film. I find him Liv, quite attractive. Leif Schreiber. Oh, Liv I found... <laughs> yeah, Leif Schreiber, I, I had a, a, a big chip on my shoulder just for the misfortune of him being in that remake. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't watch remakes that often. I watch them on occasion. <laughs> I guess you watch them more than I do. Uh, <laughs> but I will say my brother-in-law loved Parallax View and insisted that I watch it and yeah. loved the very last scene with the Star Chamber. Oh, remember remember we were so fascinated with Star Chambers, Jim? There's Star Chambers in Parallax yeah. View. Star Chamber is basically them just taking the opening and closing scene of Parallax View and expanding it into a movie, right? Exactly. They're like, that's, a, that's yeah, a very boring movie. <laughs> yeah. We watched it because we were so fascinated <laughs> with the concept and it just ended up being terrible. Let me tell you, I saw a Parallax View, and the most exciting parts, I was like, I saw those guys sitting at the table, and I said to myself, that's the movie I want to see. And you go off, you do all this Cut other stuff and... with that ugly guy, Warren Beatty, <laughs> wandering around with that fishing pole. I hate the car chase, not even a discount Burt Reynolds char uh, car chase. I want to see the movie about those guys on the commission. That's the movie I want to see. <laughs> you know, talk about a guy who looks like he should be a dead member of the band, Warren Beatty in that film, with his big hair and his, <laughs> his big face, his big chunky face. What's he doing? 
doing. Good thing, yeah. Good thing he could act because he never would have made it on his face in Hollywood. <laughs> just alone. Yeah. It's lucky. I completely agree. In, in fact, I don't even know of a Warren Beatty movie that I like. <laughs> Reds? Have you ever seen Reds? Never seen it. Never seen it. Refuse to. If, if, if I'm going to like it and it's a Warren Beatty movie, I'm not watching it. Uh, why don't you clue us into what the next film is? Uh, I, I believe it's Mountains of the Moon. Did I get the title right? It's Mountains of the Moon. I don't know. Who, yes. who chose the movie? Chris, <laughs> did you choose it? Do you remember the name? I didn't. Don't. No, I did not. It was, yeah, it was Mountains of the Moon. Here's a question. This is not a spoiler. Is it the most? Is it the newest movie that we're going to talk about on, in this series? <gasps> That's a great question. Mm. <laughs> it's very possible. Sharky's no, Machine oh, was 81. Yeah. So far it is, right? Yeah. I can't remember the other ones on the list right now, but I feel no, like... It was, yeah, it was. It was pretty late. It's like, yeah. in the, it's like 91 or something, so... Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Because it Crack looks the, like a 60s film. <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> I'm very excited to re-listen to our conversation about it a year ago. <laughs> Was it a year ago? <laughs> That's amazing. Is our friendship over when this podcast is over? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if it's going to make it. You didn't know if it even that started? Stuff spit. <laughs> I, no, I don't, I don't know if it's going to make it through the whole podcast because, uh, because of this parallax view thing. I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about it. Look, I understand I was being overly antagonistic today, but I, I felt like that made for good radio. I have a question. Is your brother-in-law, does he like uh, old movies, VCR-based movies? Anything? And he's podcasting, right? So he might be interested in doing a show like this, right? He likes the Parallax View, well, right? He's the special guest that I'm trying to get for the show. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, but I'm saying like a more permanent kind oh, of thing. Oh, I see what you're be in like a more permanent position. No, see, he'd take your side. You don't. You don't. You don't. You don't let me make a case for my role on this podcast. You need someone who's more of an audience surrogate. You need somebody who watches the genre films, who watches women have their skin peeled off, their entire bodies, who watches babies eat their way out of their mothers and then turn their mothers into zombies. You need that Honestly, character on I'm this like, podcast. I'm I'm like Roger Waters. If that's my audience, I don't want them. <laughs> Even if they're making me millions of dollars. I'm telling you, you just have too much of the same thing if you get him on here instead of me. Guys, look, yeah, what can I right. do? do no, is, there a, I know. is there an interview process I can go through? I'll, I'll let it go. You made a good case. What's what's the point? How can I feel superior if, if someone doesn't, <laughs> if everyone says they love the parallax view? <laughs> <laughs> Who would play the dunce on this podcast? It's not going to be Jim. <laughs> This is a very odd, totally out of context, kind of, but we went to see the uh, Smothers Brothers 10 or 15 years ago, but then my mom said, oh, he's so stupid. And my mom's a very intelligent woman and everything like that, but the fact that, you know, Tommy Smothers, that character is that he plays is so stupid, and it's so real, right? He does such a great job. That's, that's what she meant, kind of, right? It's not that she didn't understand that Tommy Smothers was you know, the one who writes all the jokes and the, uh, what's his name? The other, other brother is just basically a empty vessel, right? Who <laughs> <laughs> just responds. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's that thing, right? You, you need to have, have that dynamic. You need to have that character. So you play that character. And that you play the Tommy Smothers And you're saying that was totally well. unrelated because I'm not acting? <laughs> that like that's an unrelated it is story? Related. It is that idea. Yeah, no, you need that dynamic. <laughs> 
but it's also a joke. It's also, it's insulting me, right? It's like saying I'm 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 uh, Richard Dicky Smothers, right? I'm I I I give the appearance of the uh, smart one. I think I think <laughs> the dynamic of giving people shit and making fun of your friends. I think that it's a necessary dynamic in friendship. I really do. I think as long as everybody's cool, yeah. cool with it, having a good time. A necessary dynamic. Yeah, I'm cool with that dynamic. I'm just not cool with you not liking the parallax view. It had those moments. I just was really annoyed by the sloppiness and the implausibility. Because, like, I thought I was like going to get some sort of knockout, come together conspiracy film, and it was just this goofy, ugly dude running around with his crazy <laughs> adventures that would have never have happened. <laughs> like, you don't steal a police car. And, you know, drive it all around town, drive it and then break into the sheriff's house and then drive away from there. I mean, at some point. I feel like that would be just like a day in the life of Warren Beatty in the 70s, his real life, right? Because he's such a (laughs) handsome man and such a famous person, he could get away with that kind of stuff. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a a lack of reality that Warren Beatty thought, yeah, somebody can get away with this because this is the kind of stuff I do all the time. (laughs) They don't like his hair. Yeah, they didn't like his hair. Yeah, so the the elite, the powers that be, who find Warren Beatty repulsive and ugly, right, and eliminate him, they're just more reacting based on his perceived power that he had, but they want to show that the they threat, can actually... The threat and the power of his hair. Yeah. Maybe it was Carly Simon who who was running the Star Chamber. Is that who wrote, who wrote You're So Vain? <laughs> Carly Simon. Yeah. And that's about... Did you? Uh, Beatty? Is it about Warren Beatty? I don't know. It's Supposedly, those, or Mick yeah. Jagger? I don't know. It's one of those stories. Or yeah. who is the other person? Yeah, but uh, Harry Nielsen, right? Right. Isn't she auctioned about Harry Nielsen. <laughs> Harry Nielsen. I don't know. Um, the uh, right. She she auctioned off the name of who it was. Like he, somebody paid her a huge amount of money for charity, right? And then she whispered in their ear who it was about. Oh, <laughs> huh. Speaking of Harry Nielsen, last comment I've got. I've never, Nilsen. I've never, sorry, never listened to a Harry Nilsson record before in my life, and I listened to Nilsson Schmilson and yeah. realized that I had heard every song on it already. Yeah, yeah. that record's from, insane. Yeah, from uh, well, Goodfellas. Yeah, right. Run the end of Goodfellas. Run through the fire. Yeah, and then yeah, Coconut is on that same record. It's insane. That record is nuts. Like to to, you hear those two songs, just those two songs, "Coconut" and "Run Into the Fire," right? Jump, jump, jump into the fire, right? And and realize that they're both on the same record. It just it makes absolutely no sense. Well, and then the other song is on there, that huge hit, the one where he sings super high. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember it. Fortunately, there's no Harry Nilsson category on today's pyramid. <laughs> Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.